Hey, 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 Jordan, it has been a while, a couple of weeks, in fact, since our last podcast. Uh, things can uh, get away from you a little bit, especially during the, the dog days of summer as we're gearing up for what were supposed to be the opening weeks of local prep sports, local prep football specifically. Alas, here we go again. We are confronted with this pandemic problem for yet another academic slash athletic year. And so we will start the show there. First off, uh, how you been, man? I haven't talked to you at least uh, while being recorded over microphones for a couple of weeks. That we know of anyway. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm good, man. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a nice little break for the both of us, right? We, we figured, hey, you know, maybe, maybe a little time off before we dive right into things. Yeah. Start of August, it was going to be fast and furious. And then uh, it's like Groundhog's Day, but on all the wrong ways. Where it's like, oh, there's there's six more weeks of no high school sports, and, and uh, we 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 kid because it's uh, it's kind of hard to to not try and inject some humor to to get us through all of these you know all the craziness that's going on. But man, I'm okay. I, you know, I'm good. It's I got a chance to 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 travel a little bit, which which um, you know thankfully went okay, especially with things unraveling now. I don't think I'm going anywhere anytime soon again. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been a little rough. How have you been? Uh, not too bad. Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of like you uh, gearing up for the University of Hawaii sports season. Right. Fingers crossed that that's going to get started uh, as planned and as scheduled. Last week of August will be the opener for UH football on the road against UCLA. We'll get into that here in a little bit. You also have Rainbow Wahine volleyball around the corner. They're set to start that same week. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's about to get hard and heavy. And and yeah, I think in hindsight, the last couple of weeks, it, it just didn't quite work out schedule wise. You were traveling. Uh, I had some other uh, commitments. And so uh, sometimes that happens. And as it turns out, I think in hindsight, that was probably a little good break. Give us a chance to catch our breath uh, and, and gear up for uh, another run here. However, <laughs> that run is delayed, officially postponed. And I feel for you in particular, you were scheduled to work this week you were scheduled to get back into the into the broadcast chair here on television but the doe as it was announced uh, has postponed the start of the prep sports season really across the state now obviously the ilh uh, as a private school league is not subject to doe mandates but could be impacted in terms of their schedule as associated with the hhsaa and those postseason tournaments they could be impacted for sure uh, but across the state the doe postponing the start of the sports season until september 24th they are also requiring vaccinations for all participants including athletes and coaches. So as a as a guy who is impacted by this professionally, I wanted to get your reaction to the announcement. Is the DOE doing the right thing here? Obviously, the backlash has been strong. It has been felt. You have a lot of people who are in the camp of not wanting to be forced to get the vaccine in order to participate in sports. You have a lot of people also who continue to indulge and spread what I think can uh, very demonstratively be termed as misinformation regarding the facts surrounding the vaccine. So this has become a very tricky, uh, somehow it's become a very political issue, even though this is clear an issue of public health and safety. Uh, but as a guy who was impacted here this week, uh, you were supposed to work. You won't be working at least for, for a few more weeks here. Uh, as, as you mentioned, Puxatani Phil came back out, saw its own shadow, and uh, yet we're, we're under COVID uh, precautions for another six weeks at least. What is your reaction to this? Yeah, my reaction was um, one of just kind of bummed out, you know, and 
just the fact that we've gotten to this place, right? Uh, whether or not it's the right decision to to do it now, whether it's you know the right decision to to have this mandate in place at all. Um, I think also you know to note that it is very similar to the vaccinations that are already mandated by the state of Hawaii and the Department of Education to go to school and to participate in sports. Uh, there are ways to get exempted, whether it's for religious reasons or medical reasons. Um, the, you know, you can also choose to not take the vaccine, but also submit to twice weekly testing, I, I believe is the option if you're unvaccinated to participate in sports. And so it isn't the be all end all, right? It isn't 100% yes or no that you you can play if you have the vaccine or you can't if you don't have it, right? There, there are some some fine print stuff in there, if you will. But yeah, just the, the initial reaction was was one of of kind of sadness, to be honest. You know, I, I covering these kids, um, you know, I, I'm in the unique position as well. I, I coached some basketball uh, over at Baldwin High School, worked with a lot of the junior varsity kids. And we had just gotten uh, back into the gym <laughs> from the outdoor courts uh, last month. Uh, and that was quite a joy, you know, and seeing these kids get to run around in, indoors and put up some shots without having to worry about the wind. Mm. Um, you know, it was uh, you could you could see you could see the value of it. Right. Just being around the social socialization, aspect, all, all of the above. Right. All of the things that come with one being able to go to school in person and, and obviously being able to participate in extracurriculars, whether it be sports or some sort of other extracurricular. And so just, just the fact that we have gotten to this point, it was just, it was a bit of sadness, you know, it was, I, I really feel for those kids. I, you know, we, I, I work with a lot of folks that, that, um, you know, a big part of their livelihood and their income is covering sports, right. Locally, whether it's high school or, or up and beyond. And, and so that's, that's a big blow as well. But, but I will say it, there was a bit of inevitability I think that that I felt in part because you mentioned some of the games I was supposed to work uh, for Spectrum. This was before the announcement came down that they were postponing basically six weeks. Uh, we had three games in part scheduled for tomorrow for this week, Friday. Um, we were going to broadcast two of them with a backup game just in case something happened. All three of those games were canceled because of COVID related reasons. Um, a fourth game, which was to be the lone broadcasted game on Saturday of this opening weekend of prep sports, that game was very much in jeopardy. It was, it was not canceled, but it was kind of teetering whether or not it was going to be. So, I mean, that's nearly half of the games and all the games are going to be taking place on Oahu. And so when you talk about whether or not this was the right decision, uh, I don't know if they were faced with any other decision to be quite honest, because if this opening weekend was any indication we were looking at games multiple games being canceled every weekend because of COVID and so you know instead of trying to tiptoe your way through a landmine field it, it kind of makes sense to pause a little bit now do I wish they had made some of these decisions earlier yes I, I think a lot of people are, are fair to say that it's like hey look like if, if this had been something on the table it's not like the surge in cases happened just last week right this has been going on for multiple weeks now when you talk about the delta variant and all of that and so if you if you back up a little bit it's like okay maybe if we had made this decision two weeks ago or three weeks ago or something like that right the, the clock would be a little more favorable maybe you get some folks uh, a little more ready to to get on board with the vaccination mandate as opposed to you know basically four days three days before the start of the season you're saying hey look we're not playing any games and it's like okay that's a little harder to that's a little harder to take right that's a little harder to stomach so 
Yeah, I it, it made a lot of sense to me just because knowing that, look, half the games this past weekend were going to be canceled anyway. And so it makes sense to pause. There is at least a plan now, and I think that's what everybody was waiting for. And we didn't really have one coming into this outside of, you know, just kind of operating at status quo. This at least gives some direction going forward uh, and at least lays out a roadmap to to potentially getting back to games. And, and it is a postponement, not a cancellation, which I think was was the one silver lining in all of this. Yeah, there's still a commitment, it sounds, to playing the season. And I think that's at least a better form of messaging. I, I don't know why this debate over the vaccine has created such a divide because you're right. It's not the first time that vaccines have been required in order to allow student athletes to participate in sports. The disclosure of those vaccines, TB tests, things of that nature have long been required. Uh, and, and so the, the, the reaction to that, the vitriolic reaction to that is something that, that puzzles me. I would love to remove the politicization of this issue and I would love for the messaging regarding the vaccine to be much more clear, concise. I do agree with people making choices. I would love to see people who are who are thoroughly and, and appropriately informed making those choices while considering the people around them because I think when you're dealing with a virus like this, it's not just how it impacts you, it's how it impacts those around you. And so yeah, you know, we have to find a way out of this. And so here comes at least in one area of the community, a mandate, uh, and that's going to rattle the cages for sure. Speaking of mandated vaccines, the University of Hawaii is going to mandate vaccines for its student athletes, but UH football opened training camp here this past week. Second season under head coach Todd Graham last year, obviously, was the COVID season, but Hawaii, the only Mountain West team that didn't have to suffer the suspension of a game or any kind of uh, games that were postponed or canceled. And so uh, Hawaii coming off of a year where they went five and four, they got a New Mexico Bowl victory. I think by and large, everyone would look at that as being a successful first campaign for Todd Graham. Hawaii returns a slew of starters on both sides of the ball, including all conference standouts. You have Calvin Turner, the incredible playmaker, uh, wide receiver, running back, return man, like however you want to list them. He's good at everything. He's on offense. You have Darius Muasa. Uh, the tackling machine at linebacker returning on defense. Uh, UH also going to be playing on the newly retrofitted Clarence T.C. Ching Athletic Complex field for its home games this year, starting with Portland State on September 4th, following the opener at UCLA, which is scheduled for August 28th. So the question to you, Jordan Helley, are you pumped for Rainbow Warrior football? I am. I, I, I genuinely am. I, I would love to find a way, even though I I. I a little skeptical now that whether they'll allow fans, but I would love to be there for the home opener on September 4th. Like I, I think the possibilities that playing on campus and playing in that, you know, intimate environment present, uh, I think are, are reasons to get excited, right? Uh, having the, the students down there and all of that that comes with the game day experience. But in terms of the product on the field, like I, I, I think they should be pretty good, right? Uh, what Todd Graham has, has started to build here and, you know, you've got Chevin Cordero back at quarterback, as we mentioned. Calvin Turner is as exciting a dude in the country, like legitimately in the country. And he has gotten some some national attention, pro football focus. Some of the other national outlets have, have done some features on on guys, especially, you know, the slash type player that that Calvin Turner is, uh, where he can impact the game, you know, in multiple phases at multiple different positions. He is, he is by himself worth the price of admission. But 
you know, as you pointed out with, with guys like Darius Muasau, you know, Eugene Ford in the, the defensive secondary uh, offensive line should, I think, be pretty solid um, an athletic group up there uh, that, that can allow Chevin Cordero to maybe take full advantage of, of his skill sets where he can extend plays with his feet uh, and get the ball out in a quick passing game. So, you know, I, I think this team should be pretty competitive. And we saw it last year, right? What, five and four? And there were some some very high highs. There were some pretty low lows, too, in some of those losses. But in year two, now under Todd Graham, I think with a chance to kind of get a more traditional offseason in as well as opposed to last year where they weren't going to play, then they were going to play, then they didn't start till October, right? Um, but being on a little more traditional with spring ball and a full summer camp, and now they get into training camp in, in, in you know, in Westwood, in Pasadena, I should say at the Rose Bowl to, to open things up later this month. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty excited for this group. I, I think there is a lot individually and collectively to be kind of hyped about. Yeah, it's going to look a little different, right? I mean, year one under those circumstances where you didn't really have a spring ball, you weren't able to have a full training camp. You know, you weren't sure if you were going to be playing week to week. Uh, I think under those circumstances, personnel also playing a role there. Uh, the coaching staff, Todd Graham will admit as much, uh, wasn't able to implement everything systematically that he wanted to. And so there's going to be much more in terms of install here in this training camp. And so we're going to see an expansion of that defense. Uh, they had to basically go three down linemen out of desperation because of a lack of depth last year. And I think what we'll see are more four or five man front type formations defensively. He's going to, he, he intended to try to get longer and beefier up front. It seems as though that's what Hawaii has done personnel wise. And so he uh, talked Talking about Todd Graham, who also serves as the defensive coordinator, is basically anticipating that they're going to be able to do more and be more proactive, be more of an attacking defense, and we'll see how that plays out. On offense, we're going to see much more of the implementation of the tight end. I think what you saw last year was Todd Graham, again, out of the necessity of the circumstance, adopting a lot of the run-and-shoot principles, right? We called it the, the run-and-gun offense. Uh, but this year, we're going to see a little bit more of a shift towards Towards the pro style aspect of Todd Graham's offense, much more in the way of the tight end position. You have Kobe Wyatt, a Georgia transfer. You have Caleb Phillips, a Stanford transfer. Those guys are going to play pretty prominent roles. It looks like in the offensive schematics. And so you wonder how that's going to impact a guy like Chevin Cordero, the returning QB who has a lot of experience under his belt at this point, but uh, they're going to try to play at a greater tempo. Uh, and so I, I think now we're going to see what Todd Graham the head coach, what this regime is really all about. This team will embody more of the identity of what Todd Graham envisions for his football program than what we saw even last year. They're a preseason pick to finish fifth, by the way, in the West Division of the Mountain West Conference. Not a lot in terms of expectation, but I think as you pointed out, uh, there is still reason to be optimistic and hopeful. Uh, it is a schedule that features some weird quirks, right? They're playing New Mexico State twice, home and away. They start at UCLA. That's always a tough one. But they do have uh, several of the teams who are picked above them in the division, San Jose State, San Diego State, Fresno State. All those games are actually going to be played here in Hawaii. So three of those four teams that were picked above them in the division, they will host. Uh, and so at least in terms of the schedule, that may play a little bit more to their advantage. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, as far as being pumped for football, how could you not be? 
All right, so we switch over to the Olympics. We've been off for a couple of weeks, so we missed out on some pretty big stories. Obviously, I think the biggest one from Hawaii's standpoint has to be Carissa Moore, the Punahou alum, winning gold in the first ever surfing event in Tokyo. How significant was this victory for Carissa? I mean, she's already a four-time world champ. She already represents Hawaii in all of those World Surf League events, uh, but she was wearing the, the Stars and Stripes here. Uh, on behalf of a sport that native Hawaiians claim in terms of its origin, right? And you have the history, Duke Hanamoku, the former swimming Olympian who pushed for surfing to be accepted as an Olympic sport. And you have all of that surrounding this. Uh, Carissa Moore, who herself is part Hawaiian, uh, able to, to win and wear that gold medal. But that's one for Hawaii. That's one for the history of surfing. How significant in your mind was this victory for Carissa? Yeah, it was big. It was big, right? For a lot of those reasons you you talked about. And it almost seemed appropriate that somebody from Hawaii, including somebody of part Native Hawaiian ancestry, was going to win a gold medal, right? The first time surfing finally made it into the Olympics. And, you know, we had a, a representative on the men's side too, right? And, and John John Florence didn't quite get to the, the podium like Carissa did, but yeah, I, I thought it was it was massive, right? If there's any sport, and look, Hawaii gets behind their Olympians just like we get behind all of our our athletes, right? That 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 make it to a stage such as that, and arguably there is no bigger stage than the Olympics. Um, but if there is a sport that Hawaii wants to claim a gold medal in, it is surfing, right? It is Hawaii's sport. All these sports out there, right, that have been played for centuries, just like surfing has. Um, they all have their origins, right? But but for a, a sport that is endemic to Hawaii, um, to have a Hawaiian win the gold medal, it, it was it was poetic. It almost seemed like fate. Um, and her in choppy conditions and unfavorable conditions, just finding a way to to sort of grind it out, right? Um, it's huge. It's it's absolutely huge, and she should be celebrated as she has already, um, with the highest of of regard. Um, but I also think it was huge for surfing as a whole, right? To to have um, Carissa Moore, who's sort of in the face of women surfing. I, I don't think there's any really arguing that over the last, what, five years or so. Um, to have her win the gold medal, to be atop the podium in that regard. Um, and, and just surfing, being on that stage. We, we know the popularity of the WSL. And I think being as well run as it is, continuing to to gain a foothold in a greater you know, gaining greater real estate in the collective sports um, consciousness, if you will, on a global on a global scale, right? Um, and for for surfing to be in the Olympics on that stage, kind of early in the games as well, and Carissa Moore, not just from Hawaii, but obviously an American winning that gold, uh, I think it was huge for the sport as well. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I think she's one of the greatest surfers I've ever seen. Uh, and I think she's becoming very much the Serena Williams of surfing uh, and, and really achieving GOAT status uh, already. And she's still very much in the midst of her career. So uh, we don't have a guest here for this episode of the show because we had so much catching up to do. But we do have some sound from an interview that Carissa did just days after claiming gold in Tokyo. Uh, she did this interview with Andrew Pereira of the World Surf League. Let's uh, Let's play some of that sound now. There were so many people cheering for you back here in Hawaii. Your Ohana, of course, all the folks at Kiwalos. Did you feel that support behind you as you entered the water? Absolutely. I, you know, it was definitely different not having some of my closest 
family here with me, but I felt so much love behind me. And that gave me a lot of peace paddling out into that, into that storm <laughs> because there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot that was out of my control, but just knowing that, hey, no matter what the outcome, I get to go home to an incredible family and people who love me. It really um, got me just to kind of settle down, uh, focus on what I could control and trust and have, a, have faith that it would work out. And I'm so, so glad it did. What were you thinking of uh, in that moment that you realized that you were an Olympic gold medal winner and the first ever for women surfing? I was overwhelmed with emotion when the Hooter went off and they announced that I was, I had won gold. It was just, there has been such a crazy buildup to this event, especially it being the first for surfing. Um, it was, it's a big moment for, for everybody, a part of the sport. And I'm really, really proud of how all the athletes showed up. And I think everybody, buddy did a really great job putting on a display and putting our best foot forward for our sport. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I, I know I did watching from watching the heats happen from the beach um, in between paddling out. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's been really cool. Tell us about surfing for Team USA. And there's been some talk about Hawaii should have been its own team, but how do you plan on using this platform going forward that you've been given as a gold medal winner in, in the frame of Duke Kahanamoku, who I know is one of the folks that you look up to? Oh, I look up to Duke so much. I'm so inspired by the way he lived his life, what he accomplished, but just by the human he was and how he treated people. I think that's, that's what's the most important. And it was, beautiful to see his dream come true a century later to have surfing in the Olympics. I'm a proud Hawaiian um, and to be able to represent Hawaii. I know I wasn't able to wear the flag on my shoulder, but I felt like I was wearing Hawaii in my heart. And I'm super proud to be representing both Hawaii and the United States of America. I know that you've uh, studied Duke and seen a documentary recently. What do you think if uh, anybody could put uh, put something in his words, what he'd say about this moment and having having you as a champion? Oh, oh I can't even begin to think of the words he would have or speak for him. Um, I hope I hope he's somewhere smiling down on all of us. And um, I feel like he sent us that rainbow. We had there was a few rainbows. I didn't see the one during the final, but I got to see a picture after and it was just extraordinary. I had seen one earlier on in the day and it just like made me smile because it reminded me of home. And it was like such a blessing that in this storm, in this craziness, there was this like moment of peace and joy and happiness. And I thought that was like truly beautiful. Um, but I hope, I hope he's proud and I hope he's, um, he knows how much he means to all of us in Hawaii and that I, I hope, yeah, I hope to honor him. Tell me about the heat now going into the, the finals and, and those conditions were very challenging. Um, maybe not to the layperson, but uh, with all the rip currents and, and, the, and the sideways uh, winds, what was your approach going into that, that final heat? It was, it was pretty crazy looking out at the ocean before I paddled out for the final. There was so much going on. It was, there were waves everywhere. There was a lot of water moving and current and white water. And there were clouds in the sky that made it look dark and ominous. And um, 
despite all the craziness and uncertainty, I was just like, how cool is this? I get to paddle out, do something that I love, share my heart and passion with people. Let's just go for it. It's time to leave it all out there. And um, I tried, I tried my best to do that. As the current uh, number one on the leaderboard, is there anything that you can take from the Olympics going forward as uh, you go into this final stretch for the first ever WSL finals? Well, I'm really looking forward to the next month and a half and getting, getting to compete at Mexico and Tahiti. Those are some of those are dream spots uh, for any surfer. So I'm really looking forward to competing there. And then to have the opportunity to be a part of the first ever WSL finals and showdown. Ooh, that's going to be crazy. Um, if I could take anything from the Olympics, I think it would just be to, it's like any other event in the fact that you take it heat by heat, wave by wave, moment by moment. And, um, yeah, you got to work hard. This, the, the field of women right now competing on the championship tour is um, some of the best it's ever been. And it's I'm going to have to work really hard if I want the world title at the end of the year. All right. So congrats once again to uh, to Carissa Moore. Uh, just an awesome, awesome accomplishment. And uh, we look forward to so many more great things uh, on behalf of this this incredibly talented woman. All right, speaking of incredibly talented women, especially Olympians, uh, Simone Biles making some news here over the last week and a half, removed herself from the team all around and several of the individual events uh, on behalf of the United States, claiming that she had to address some mental health concerns. It was later disclosed that she was suffering from something referred to as the twisties, which is, it's, it's, it's kind of like the yips, but the gymnastics version and uh, much more dangerous because, you know, Chuck Knobloch couldn't throw the ball to first base from second base, but he wasn't really risking breaking his neck when he was trying to do so. The twisties is something that seems a lot trickier, uh, but she also disclosed after the fact that her aunt had passed away a few days prior to the gymnastics event. And so she received a ton of backlash. Of course, the trolls were out in full force. A lot of vitriol on social media. People referred to her as a quitter. Uh, what was your take on the Simone Biles situation? The Probably the saddest part about all of that is it was pretty predictable <laughs> what, what a lot of the the uh, the hot takes were going to be on social media and even in uh, you know more mainstream media as I use that in air quotes. Um, yeah, I felt I felt bad for her, right? Especially as you learned a little bit more. I I, I got to admit, in the moment, right, it's like, whoa, what is going on, right? Because she she did uh, what was it, the vault, I believe, the the first event on the rotation as you go around through the team all around. You're doing all four disciplines, and uh, and to see her pull out at that point, you're like, okay, okay, what is what is going on, right? And and initially it was framed as, you know, sort of a, a mental health thing from, I think, USA Gymnastics or the U.S. Olympic Committee or something like that. And so it kind of left, the, you know, it's like, OK, what, you know, what's going on? And, you know, it gets into, you know, as media and as fans, like, should we be privy to all of this information? Right. That that's that's sort of personal. Her teammates seem to have no problem with her decision. Right. And, and in fact, we're more than supportive of her throughout all of this and and yeah you you just you, you felt for her because she she let us in a little bit in terms of what was going through her mind and just talking about the pressure of the olympics right somebody who has been through this multiple times before and still feeling that right and i think goes to show just the level of of scrutiny and the level of pressure that is thrust upon and, and some sort of put upon themselves for for a lot of these gymnasts including you know especially the gymnasts which which often are are promoted 
more than any of the other sports and the athletes and, and we, we shine the, the, as bright a spotlight on them as anybody else. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's like, look, it's, as we learned a little bit more about this and, and that's why it's probably good to maybe wait a little bit before you spout off and give your take as to <laughs> Simone Biles being the quitter and you, you learn about it. It's like, okay, well, yeah, if she can't figure out which way is up while she's twisting multiple times through the air, it made a lot of sense for her to, to pull out of that. And, and, you know, it wasn't great timing. I don't think she wanted to pull out at that point, as opposed to, you know, being able to pull out earlier and letting another athlete take her spot or something like that. So yeah, I, you know, she's, she's the greatest gymnast of all time. And and to see her go through that um, is a little eye opening and, and you feel for her. And, and it's kind of amazing how much some of the other teammates, you know, stepped up in the moment, whether Shanisa Lee winning the Mm -hmm. individual all around, the fact that they still won silver as a team down, (laughs) you know, their best gymnast uh, is pretty incredible stuff when you think about it. But yeah, I I just kind of felt for Simone Biles, you know, again, arguably the the greatest to to, to go through that very publicly. It's like, wow, yeah, I mean, nobody's immune to this stuff. That's right. Yeah. And we're learning more about it. And it seems as though there's a strong sentiment to understand that mental health should be treated and considered very much the same way as physical health injuries are considered. Uh, And she describes sort of the rapid heart rate and she describes, you know, some of the the symptoms that she was experiencing. And it kind of sounds like she suffered from basically an anxiety attack. And so you go out there and you try to twist midair multiple times and land on your feet when you're disoriented and your body isn't necessarily responding to what your brain is telling it to. Uh, And she is risking severe injury if she were to do that. Uh, The thing that kills me the most about people calling her a quitter is they're questioning her commitment or competitiveness. Like, do you understand the level of commitment and competitiveness required to be a gymnast, period? To just be a mediocre gymnast, let alone to be an Olympic caliber gymnast and then to become one of the greatest Olympic gymnasts of all time, maybe the greatest we have ever seen taking that sport and taking some of those disciplines to new heights, like for people to question her commitment and competitiveness just makes absolutely no sense. Like we are to believe that she, and you can include Naomi Osaka in in this conversation as well, because some of the blowback was similar in the language used. And it's like, are we to believe that they are not among the most competitive human beings on the face of this planet. Like that just makes absolutely no sense and is infuriating. And so, you know, I think it was great. She was able to return on the balance beam and she was able to earn a bronze medal. I think under those circumstances, that's an accomplishment that should be celebrated and not criticized by uh, some of us, no talents who are, uh, you know, living in their parents' basement or something like that. All right, we switch over to another Olympic event. USA basketball has advanced to the gold medal game. You know, they had suffered three losses earlier here this summer, uh, consisting of friendly losses to Nigeria and Australia, and then a pool play loss to France to open the tournament. Since then, they have won four straight games by double digits, including a win over Spain, which was the number two ranked team in the world, a runaway victory over the Aussies, sort of redeeming themselves against Australia in the semifinals. They're now going to face off with Rudy Gobert, Evan Fournier, and and some of these guys who did them dirty the first time around in these Olympics. They're going to face France in the championship or in the gold medal game. Were we wrong to doubt Team USA when they were going through some of those early struggles? No, I don't don't think so. The thing is, too, they're, they're two knockout round games, the quarterfinal against Spain and the semifinal win against Australia. 
they started really slow in the first halves. Like those, those were pretty poor halves and, and they couldn't hit shots. Like if Kevin Durant wasn't on this team, it would be, a, I think it'd be a much different story. Like Kevin Durant is head and shoulders, the best guy on that team. And when they struggle and they go through those spells where they can't hit an open three pointer, like it is Kevin Durant hitting ridiculously hard shots, even though everybody on the other team kind of knows that he's going to be the guy to, to steady the waters and he can still score enough to keep them within striking. Just, and look again, they were down 15 in the second quarter yesterday against Australia and still won by 20 something points. And so they, that that's the thing that they can do, right? Is they can turn things on at any point and their droughts have come in the first half. Now the problem with the France game in the, the Olympic opener, their drought came in the last three minutes, right? They were up seven with three minutes to go and they couldn't hit a shot and they ended up losing. And so this is still a team that isn't all figured out. Like they have not put it all together yet when they're on, nobody's beating them. Like, I mean, the, just look at the collection of talent, right? Whether it's holiday or Middleton or Booker or Lillard and, and Kevin Durant on top of that, right? That's just, you know, a handful of those guys, Levine and, and Draymond and bam. And so when, when they're on, nobody's beating them, but they haven't done that for more than like 15 minutes of a game so far, like not even a half of a game so far. They, and when they go through those stretches, they are vulnerable. And, and we have seen that from some of these teams that have been able to knock them off and, and look, they've 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 started to figure it out a little bit more with a little more consistency, I would say, than than those first three games that we saw where they lost in the Olympics and the couple of friendlies. Um, but this is a good France team. They've already beaten them. Why can't they? Why can't they come out here and think that they could beat them again? Right? It's a team full of NBA guys, a team full of dudes who play the international game well. Uh, although I will admit, I was really hoping for a Luka USA gold medal match. Like I was really hoping Slovenia was going to beat France. They lose by what one point? Yeah, I think in the second semifinal that would have been. Because I feel if there was anybody to really take advantage of the U.S. maybe kind of tripping over themselves a little bit, like Luca and the fighting Slovenians, that is a fun team to watch. Yeah. It, I enjoyed every every game that they played in this tournament. They got some dude named Mike Toby, like starting at center, who's apparently Slovenian. This is great. It was great. But, that, you know, that, that should be a fun bronze medal game between the, they and the Aussies. Yeah, you think KD is important to the U.S.? Take Luca off of that Slovenia team, and like yeah, they, they would lose, by. they would lose to Baldwin. Like they, they <laughs> are, they are not an overwhelmingly talented team. Sans Luka Doncic, but man, that guy is unbelievable. Now it's clear Team USA is more talented. They have a more talented roster than everybody else in the tournament, but they also have the most transient roster of anybody in the yeah. tournament right i mean even though you have a lot of nba players who aren't able to practice with these teams during the nba season from off season to off season they are playing with the same group of guys there is a much more dedicated roster and so team usa is gonna always by nature require a little bit more of the fine tuning right greg popovich is now the coach he takes coach k's place and as a spurs fan i'm like damn pop is putting his reputation on the line here if they don't win a gold medal and you're starting to hear some uh, background reports of maybe the players weren't all that happy with trying to play in pop system and blah, blah, blah. But it takes some time for these guys to mesh because they don't have the same kind of experience with one another that other teams on the international stage have. Uh, and so when Pop's saying, hey, look, we got to give respect to France. We got to give respect uh, to, to Spain. We got to give respect to Australia. I think that's legit because those teams 
as a team are just a little bit more solid in their their individual roles and their overall chemistry. But as we can see, uh, Team USA is getting there. And uh, gosh darn it, it's good to have a guy like KD when uh, in doubt, give him the ball, get the bleep out of the way and uh, let him do his thing. All right, so we're talking about NBA players in the Olympics. Let's talk about the NBA offseason. Boy, has it been an eventful last week and a half. Feverish in the NBA's transaction area. Among the biggest moves, you have Russell Westbrook going to the Lakers along with Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, Kendrick Nunn, a host of other 30-something veterans. Uh, the Heat signing Kyle Lowry and P.J. Tucker. Your Chicago Bulls, Jordan Helley, bringing in Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan. Uh, to team up with Zach Levine. So to this point, who do you think has won this NBA offseason? By winning, I mean, who has improved their team the most? Because I always find it funny when people say, like, who won the draft or who won the offseason? I'm like, um, do the Nets still have Kyrie James Harden and Kevin Durant? Yeah, yeah, right. they're, they're still right. winning the offseason then. But who do you think improved the most? Yeah, honestly, I think improving the most, I, I probably got to go with, the the heat in this speaking of the nets didn't patty mills just sign with the nets or something like that? yeah that they made maybe they made their team better the most right it's like oh, okay we'll just add a veteran savvy point guard to just help out when these guys can't play or whatnot but no yeah i don't know i'm, I'm a spurs fan i've seen patty mills and i love the guy he's a great dude uh you know he, he's a guy that's so easy to root for but he's also a kind of a chucker and so I just wonder, like, that's going to be a lot of shots right. that that otherwise would go to James Harden or Kyrie or KD. And I have a little bit of a hesitation as to how that's going to play out. But uh, that could be me uh, just being salty about losing one of my favorite Spurs. Yeah, that OK. So that's probably why he's so good with Australia. And also, <laughs> I'll, I will I will package that thought uh, for, for, for just a second, because I do think. Honestly, the heat, like getting Kyle Lowry in there, like, is he a little over the hill? Maybe, but I think he solves a lot of problems for them. Um, Resigning Jimmy Butler, at least that's the the indication, right? They're going to sign him to an extension that I don't think that's official yet. Um, and PJ Tucker, like bringing him in, right? The toughness, like, isn't he just a perfect heat player uh, in PJ Tucker? So I, I think in terms of like literally really positioning themselves to take a leap up and and maybe challenge the, the, the Brooklyn's and the Milwaukee's, and the Philadelphia's in the East, I, I think the Heat have positioned themselves the best. Uh, the Bulls, at the very least, will not suck. I think like that's a pretty intriguing roster, right? When you when you look at at Levine and 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 Pat Williams, and 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 now you add in Lonzo Ball and Demar Derozan and and Vucevic there, it, like they should be decent. I don't think they're going to challenge like the top four. Like that's that's not happening. They got a whole bunch of guys who can't shoot threes. Um, it's probably not a great recipe if like Zach Levine's your best three-point shooter. Um, but in terms of adding, but not necessarily making you better, I don't know. I am not sold on Russell Westbrook and LeBron James coexisting. Like I just, I, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not on the bad wagon. Like this is a great move. I like some of the other periphery people, like Ariza, like guys who are tested, right? I, I think we maybe play into the older guy thing a little bit too much. <laughs> like they, I do think they have added pieces that can, that can help them win. Um, but if your primary addition is Russell Westbrook, a guy who used to playing with the basketball, a guy who, and I, and I love Russ, like he, nobody plays harder than that guy, but he isn't the, the, the highest IQ late game basketball player. Like that's going to drive LeBron nuts. And who has the ball in his hands? And if he passes it to Russ, is Russ not going to shoot? 
because that's what he's done his whole career. That's his game. Like, is he going to change how he plays now that he's playing with LeBron? He's not exactly a floor spacer, right? And so all you're doing is you're just like bringing, drawing the defense further in and creating less of a of an area to and room to operate for a guy like Anthony Davis, who I think it probably uh, behooves the Lakers to have him play closer to the rim more frequently. And you wonder if Russell Westbrook's going to kind of disallow that. Uh, I think that move is more predicated, though, on the fact that, hey, look, LeBron and AD, uh, they are known now, LeBron at this stage of his career and AD throughout his entire career, they're kind of known to miss some games, right? Whether it's load management for LeBron, he's been injured two of the last three years. And so I think the Lakers are maybe thinking like, hey, look, in the dog days of the regular season, we need somebody that can just kind of carry the load and uh, and bridge those gaps. And I think Russell Westbrook has definitely proven uh, throughout his career that he can do that. He definitely did that when he was with Houston. He did that uh, with Washington here before uh, going to L.A. And so, so I, I can understand the move from that standpoint. I think getting Kendrick Nunn was a big step up uh, for the Lakers in terms of the depth there. And isn't it funny? Now they have some depth at the point guard position. And Dennis Schroeder, who turned down four years, $84 million, is now just sitting there going like can I get a team to give me 20 and he probably cost himself by turning that offer down from the Lakers he's he's going to cost himself about 60 million dollars like that's almost Isaiah Thomas like but I I kind of agree with you I think you know Artie Wilson always says this any player you bring into a program you want them to have a a little bit of dog in them spelled d-a-w-g and I think P.J. Tucker going to the heat when you have guys like Bam Adebayo when you have guys like Jimmy Butler he just fits in so perfectly and I think defensively they have gotten better and I think even at this stage of his career Kyle Lowry with his propensity to take charges to just kind of get in the way and be a nuisance on defense he will fit right in so I agree with you I think the Miami Heat are back in the convo they're going to be something to be reckoned with over there in the Eastern Conference all right, so that's been fun. Uh, let's get to our best and worst here, post-game of this episode of the podcast. Uh, our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company, offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial, construction, and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. All right, so I'll start with my best and very simple NFL football. It's back. It returns tonight at the time of this recording. Uh, we are closing in on kickoff for the Hall of Fame game, Cowboys and Steelers. So I ask you, Jordan Helley, put your Chicago Bears bias aside, even if you are curious like everyone else as to how that quarterback situation is going to play out. What is your top NFL storyline going into this season? Yeah, for, for me, it's and this is kind of a cop-out because I'm going to somehow work Justin Fields into this, but it is sort of the freshman, sophomore, rookie QB class um, because, you know, Joe Burrow coming off the injury is Tua going to take the leap. Is Justin Herbert going to like ascend to be that dude, right? Jalen Hurts looks like he's going to be the guy in Philadelphia. Uh, and then you got the rookies this year, right? Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson there with the Jets is Trey Lance going to beat out Jimmy Garoppolo at some point. It's Justin Fields going to beat out um, Andy Dalton at some point. Mac Jones, is he going to beat out? I mean, we're talking about like a quarter of the league, at least 20% with six, first or second year starting quarterbacks and then potentially, you know, two or three more You're talking about like eight or nine guys within their first year of being in the league, starting a quarterback. And, and so uh, with Peyton Manning, you know, excuse me, not Peyton Manning, Drew Brees now retired with guys like Tom Brady, although Tom Brady's like 
just going to be around forever. It seems Ben Roethlisberger's like his arms barely hanging on. Like a lot of these older guys, you know, phasing out like this next generation coming in. And again, we're talking about nearly, if not a quarter of the league, potentially starting a guy who's got what one year of experience at most. Uh, that'll, that'll be big. And, and some of these teams are expecting to be pretty decent. The Niners, the, the Dolphins, you know, they, these are teams that are the, the Bengals are expecting, you know, expecting to take a leap. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what what these young guys are going to do. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, definitely. Of course, there is no uh, QB controversy in Detroit because we got Jared Goff and he's on solid ground. Um, but I agree with you that the, the young guys and, and can they respectively take that proverbial next step? I think that's something to watch. Uh, I'm still kind of attached to the old dudes, though, like Tom Brady. They got all 22 starters back in Tampa Bay. Like, can yeah. they make another run at this thing? You have Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he and Devonte Adams, it sounds like, are, are sort of on the same page of this last dance mentality, like the Chicago Bulls uh, back in the day when they made their run at a last championship. Like, can they do something special? They might be the team that is is most of a threat to Tampa Bay and their efforts to repeat. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I still can't shake uh, my interest in seeing if these old guys, these, these older QBs uh, can, can keep the pressure on and can sort of hang on, if you will, to, to the mantle before having to inevitably pass it on to this next generation of QBs that you speak of. Uh, it's just fun to have football back, man. All right. Uh, what's your best? Yeah, my best. I don't know if you, if you heard about this, but this guy, Eddie Alvarez, he's the starting second baseman on the United States baseball team in the Olympics who have worked their way through the loser's bracket and will play Japan, I think, Saturday or maybe Friday, Hawaii time. I still haven't figured out the time difference um, for gold. So he is guaranteed a medal. This is the same Eddie Alvarez who won silver in short track speed skating at the 2014 Sochi Winter Games. So he will be just the third American and the sixth athlete ever to win medals in both the winter and summer games. I had never heard about this guy until they just won against South Korea in basically what worked out to be a semifinal. Uh, and they're off and he's like in triple A or something like this. Like he was a good high school player, got like a collegiate baseball scholarship, kind of gave it up to pursue the skating thing. And you have obviously wins a medal. That is that is amazing. This baseball team, by the way, it's either like triple A guys or washed up major leaguers like Todd Frazier and Scott Casimir on this team amongst like a, a handful of other dudes who are like they're still playing baseball. Um, Eddie Alvarez, that's that's incredible. A medal in, in, in both winter and summer games. Again, there's only there's only been the sixth guy to ever do it. Sixth human being ever to do it. That's <laughs> yeah, cool. that, there needs to be more made of that. Uh, I also can appreciate the. Japan baseball and I'm not talking about the sport the actual baseball have you been reading about this it yeah, has been getting yes. rave reviews there are many uh, who play professional baseball who are on team USA uh, and others associated with the program that are saying they need this baseball in the United States uh, the way it's manufactured it's tackier you don't need the foreign substances for pitchers to maintain a good grip because of that they say that some of the pitches get a little bit more movement on them, but it is deemed to be something that the pitchers prefer to the slipperier and, you know, needs to be worn baseball that you see in Major League Baseball currently. Uh, and so I wonder, I wonder if the company that manufactures those baseballs uh, is about to get a massive order from the United States uh, to, to try to bring that specific baseball and the way that they produce it uh, over to the U.S. All right, we'll go to my worst. And my worst is uh, 
USA men's volleyball. They failed to advance out of pool play. Of course, we watched them closely. Three Hawaii guys on the squad, the Shoji brothers, Kavika and Eric. You have Micah Christensen, a Kamehameha alum who is considered one of the best setters in the world. Uh, and they were in a very tough pool. Let's be honest. They were sort of in the pool of death. But that said, they went two and three in pool play. They finished with losses to Brazil and Argentina. And a lot of that, if you watch those matches, which I did, it was kind of self-inflicted a lot of service errors in crucial moments of those sets slash matches uh, and so that was a bummer a bummer to see just because hey look eric shoji is considered the greatest libero of all time michael christensen is becoming a, a veteran setter and and you know you have kavika who has been his primary backup here for a number of years and you just wonder you know is is, is it time for eric kavika I, I don't foresee this for micah but i just wonder if these guys start to think all right how much more do i have in me do i do i have enough to calibrate myself for yet another run at the olympic games uh you just wanted if this was going to be the end for any of them uh and their international uh, competition and participation you just wanted uh, them to go out with a bigger bang yeah and i you know i i think it was kind of palpable the disappointment amongst those guys in the team in general um yeah i mean we even when we talked to eric on the podcast like last year uh right as they were gearing up for olympic qualification like he was talking about it right He's, his body doesn't recover quite as quickly as it used to when he was a little younger guy. I will say the one maybe saving grace is it's only three years to the next Olympics, right? It's not, it's not the full that's a good cycle. Point. Yeah. Maybe that's a little intriguing or uh, enticing, I guess I should say, for these guys. It's like, well, okay, I could, a three-year window, maybe I can rev it up one last time. Um, but yeah, it, we've, we've been kind of treated to those, those that trio being amongst the best in the world. And, and yeah, it was, it was a bummer. It was a bummer to see him go out like that. Yeah, correction, the next three years. But that's also assuming that we're past COVID by then. And uh, who knows <laughs> the way things are going. All right, what, what, is, what is your worst? Yeah, my worst uh, just this morning, uh, Hawaii time, the, the news coming down. Lionel Messi, he's out at Barcelona. I don't know if you saw this. This is like, this is like the biggest news around the world right now. Um, it had been brewing for a while that he had been, you know, discontent with the leadership there at Barcelona. Like they fired the president. They're run by a board. It's kind of Green Bay Packers ish um, in that sense. There's not like one main owner. Uh, they got rid of the president. They brought in another guy that couldn't make it work. Uh, and so the team announced it today that uh, he is not going to be a member of Barcelona moving forward. Uh, so, of course, that begins the arms race. Like, where does he go now? But I mean, he's, you know, one of the greatest players of all time and um he's not gonna be playing at barcelona anymore he probably goes to england is my guess uh to play uh and then the rumor is he wants to close out his career in the united states playing in mls so we'll, we'll see and what a messy situation that's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned Maui operated for Maui's people hit us up on twitter at Kanoa Lehi, at jordan heli or at Talk Sports 808. Uh, looking forward to doing it again uh, sooner than three weeks down the road, Jordan. We'll, we'll, we'll do it again next week, bro. Yeah, I, I don't have much going on anymore, so <laughs> call me up. <laughs> have a good one.